Hi guys, welcome to a special episode of the Radical Latino Show. I have two very special guests with me today. They're part of an organization called Discovery for Justice. Without further ado, I'll have them introduce themselves. Hi, uh, this is Saeed. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm also a member of Discovery for Justice. Um, we've been fighting for changing discovery laws in the state. And I think it's a really important fight. Um, and we'll uh, to talk about it today. Hi, my name is Julio Paul. one-time community activist, one of the original uh, founding members of Discovery for Justice because of an incident that covered my son here in the South Bronx, and we're trying to see if we can change this law. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about the organization? Sure. Well, in terms of the organization, it started because of the fact that uh, a few of us who recognized the fact that a little unknown fact I've been living in New York City all my life, just about. I'm 66 years old. I've been living in the South Bronx since I was four years old. Mm. I've, been, I've been involved in many activist events from Days of the Young Lords to today where I'm the president of the Homeless Association and I'm the spearhead behind this movement to help Puerto Rico call Respect and Justice for Puerto Rico. We're going to be calling for a national day of Respect and Justice in October. So I've been involved in a lot of stuff. But being involved in a lot of stuff doesn't mean you know everything that's going on. Until one day, my son, who had recently graduated from Western University, uh, comes out, he comes back home, and um, he leaves his apartment uh, in the same building that I lived in, and basically goes to go buy a sandwich for lunch. He takes five olives in his, in his pocket, both identification, because he's going to the corner. And on the way there, he meets the, uh, the, the doorman from our building who says, hey, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go buy a sandwich down the block. There's 160 Perth Street. That made a great mm, that... walking down towards Yankee Stadium where most of the shops are at mm. to go buy a sandwich. And his friends say, hey, wait for me here. I got to go in there. I, I'll be right out. So my son waits for, him, waits for him outside. When his friend comes down, all of a sudden, like three police cars surround them. And they tell them both to empty out your pockets. To which my son says, why do I have to empty out my pockets? I ain't doing anything. I'm just standing here. The guest says, well, I just saw your friend. Well, this guy coming out of the building, and now you both are together. And that building is being surveyed as one of the areas of heavy drug trafficking. So my my son still refuses to uh, empty out his pockets. But his friend, uh, he's, he's a recent immigrant. He didn't know so much about the laws, and he gets, he's gets scared by the police. And he puts his hand in his pocket, and he pulls out a nickel bag of marijuana. And as you know, at the time, especially, you know, concealing of marijuana is not a problem. But if you open and you bring it out, then that's a reason for the police to arrest you. So basically, the police arrested him and was taking my son in. And my son says, why are you taking me in? I didn't do anything. I'm just here waiting for him. I'm on my way to go get some lunch. And the police officer said, well, nah, you know, we're just going to get a desk appearance ticket, maybe. Or we'll just let you go because we can just say you're trespassing. But other than that, you're okay. So... My son, had, my son had no choice but to go in this van, which basically was going around the community, yeah. picking up young people, like like almost like vultures, looking around where in the schoolyard. You know, they had a kid who must have been like my son, only fourteen years old, in Chancletas, who went left his house to go buy his mother something in the grocery store, and as he walked by, there was some of his friends at the stoop, and right there, boom, the cops came, and two or three of them had some stuff. They took all, all, all like seven or eight of them. Was that part of the? Was that part of the TNT? Uh, that that was part of this whole thing that they had even before um, 
this other, what the, what you call it, they were arresting uh, people for any reason whatsoever, uh, just because they basically needed to get numbers up, I guess, in the police department, because these were what I call BS arrests. But the point is, with my son, uh, he never, they never let him make a phone call. So this was like 12 in the afternoon. That was almost 12 midnight. Nobody knows where my son is. His mother's going crazy. His uh, girlfriend at the time, now his wife, calls me like five or six times asking me, yo, do you know where your son is? Because it's strange. He on, the door's open, and he doesn't answer his phone because he left his phone here. So now we're all worried, thinking what could have happened to my son because it been remember in almost 12 hours. I make some phone calls. I call my friends who are police officers. I call my friends who work in uh, the Bronx Lebanon Hospital and uh, admitting to see if maybe, God forbid, he was hit by a car or, or something and they identify him and he's in a hospital or something. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I get a call from a friend of mine who says, listen, your son has been arrested. He's at the 44th precinct waiting for arraignment next day. So I immediately I go to the 44th precinct because I'm known, because I've been involved in a lot of events in the community. You know, I asked to speak to the community affairs officers who they finally came down and they sent, they got me the two officers who did the arrest. And both officers, una Latina and an African-American, are telling me that my son was arrested with possession of narcotics with intent to sell. Wow. To which I told them, you both are bugging. Both, I raised my voice and both of you are bugging. If you're telling me that my son will has uh, had drugs and intent to sell, because my son, I know my son, I know exactly what he's about. He might smoke a joint here in a while, but you're telling me that my son had narcotics uh, potential sell? You're both lying. And they both try to calm me down, telling me, listen, you know, sometimes uh, as parents, we don't know what our kids do. And I tell them, man, the hell with you. I know what my kid does. I, I'm, I'm one of those parents that have been involved with my son since he was born. So don't tell me what my son doesn't do and doesn't do. So bottom line, they said, well, listen, you know, I guess we're gonna, when you go to, when you go to the trial, it's gonna be arraigned today. And then I asked them, how come you would never let, let them make a phone call? Which that was another issue. We got over that. And bottom line, I left it very frustrated, very angry. We go to the court, my son is being arraigned. And the judge tells my son, he looks at this record and he says, listen, you're, you're, you're a Western graduate. You've never been involved with the law. You haven't done anything major. So just, I'm gonna give you a desk appearance ticket to come back. And if you stay clean for 12 months, you know, this will wait. And we looked at each other by saying, what are you telling us that my son stays clean? And you're going to give him a desk appearance ticket for something he didn't do. Mm. So he said, he said, no, we're not going to accept that. And the judge says, you can't stay clean for for 12 months? And Attorney Ann said, no, she's not going to stay clean of anything because he didn't do what he said. So the mm. judge got angry and he slammed the hammer. The gavel, on, yeah. Uh, yeah, on, 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 the, on the desk. And he says, well, I guess... You know, we're going to have to go to trial. So let's put this to trial. Wow. And that's when we experienced something that had been going on for years here and is still going on, where basically, thank God that my son, because he has a good record, he never was arrested, he has he was a Western graduate, and even to that, the cops were saying, yeah, he was very respectful and stuff like that. He was able to walk out that day without any bail or mm. anything. But this is what happened for two years. Wow. My son had to give up some uh, some work assignment. He's a producer, film producer. And he had to give up work assignments sometimes because every time in those two years that they had a trial, that they had a hearing, he had to come back. He had to be here for that trial, for that hearing. He went to about three, four, almost five different times. 
to be suspended until the next time, so the next time. Finally, after two years, almost two years and two months, they, they finally decided, well, we knew all along that he was innocent because they had no evidence. Yeah. But my son lost two years, two and a half years of progressing his work to be able to advance in his area because of the fact that we thought about what happened to Khalif Bowder. Where at the opposite end is a, is a young man who basically is accused of something he didn't do. But unlike my son, he 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 did not have the ability to have bail, and he, all he had to raise was five thousand dollars for bail for a BS uh, supposedly stealing a backpack. Yeah, yeah. And then he winds up going to jail for almost three years plus, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know how long it takes to go to trial, especially in the Bronx. Yes, New York City is incredible with this. And then finally the kid comes out after three years being traumatized, commits suicide. Yeah. And this is a situation that has happened. And I saw the two extremes. I saw the extreme of what happened to my son at that moment. And at that moment, I spoke to a good friend of mine, Judge Tapia, who advised me, who told me that, you know, he was at that time in the criminal court system and explained to me some of the things that goes on. And as a result of what happened then, we decided that we needed to start an organization to address this issue because I was totally oblivious to the fact that this is taking place in one of the most liberal states in the country. Yeah. That young people are being put in jail for things that they probably, majority of them, did not do. He's going on understanding of what um, Julia is talking about. Just give you guys some context, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, I'm a practicing attorney, and you know, I've done cases, I've done criminal trials, and so forth. Um, and the thing that I guess people should be aware of is what the rule is, and I, again, I guess what Julio was sort of talking about was in New York, what happens is, and it, this, is, this doesn't happen in 46 other states, right? New York is one of the four states that still does this, to as the degree as we do it. But basically, in New York, you're not required, New York prosecutors are not required to turn over evidence until time of trial, right? Mm. That, that's what it simply comes down to, is New York doesn't require prosecutors to turn over evidence until time of trial. Mm. What that means is, you know, in Julio's case, in Julio's son's case, you know, the police said that they had all this evidence because they kept bringing him back to court, but they weren't required to turn over evidence until trial started, so they keep, they can technically keep doing it until they see the trial. Um, and what happens is if you don't have bail, like in Khalif Barak's case, you know, this kid sitting in jail for three years, they kept making this kid come yeah. back to court while keeping him in prison. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the law. And it's a basic change, which is what we're saying is, you know, prosecutors should be required to turn over evidence as soon as arraignment, right? Yeah, so that's that's basically like a, um, the, the lawyer could basically... Keep on extending a thirty for thirty multiple times, correct? Right, right, exactly. And 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 you know what happens is you know evidence is, is sort of the truth, right? Evidence is basically the truth, right? This is this is how you go to jail. This is how your freedom gets taken away. Is based yeah. on what evidence is out there. And so if you're not required to turn over evidence, then then you know <laughs> it's it, 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 causes a lot of issues and you know what happened to Julius son what happened to Khalif Browder is some of the examples um there's a lot more that's out there and we can get into it yeah. later if you want to talk about it but um you know this is sort of a fundamental issue we think that that's sort of it affects everything in a criminal case gotcha um, what, what, so what made you, um, as a lawyer, get involved with, with this organization? Well, 
for everybody that's listening this law that we're referring to is blindfold law and of this uh, law how how it how it came to be Industries, they have mechanisms. 
Mm. The government, what's happened in this country is a, 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 a prison industrial complex, which is a business. So the, the, the situation of justice, and when they turn it over to the prison system, it's now a, 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 a business. I mean, some of these some of these businesses actually trade on Wall Street. Yeah. You know, so you got prisons that are run by private corporations. And what, what do you need to be able to be successful in prison? If, if, if McDonald's makes money by selling what? Hamburgers. Yeah. Macy's makes money by customers coming in and buying apparel and utilities for their house. Well, how does a prison make money? If you don't have prisoners, you don't make more money. Yeah. So therefore, how do you feed prisoners? If you're going to wait for somebody to actually grab a gun and go to a bank and rip off the bank, or you're going to wait for the person to commit a crime that has committed a violent crime, yeah, those crimes are committed. But if you compare those crimes to the number of people that are incarcerated, particularly young black and Latino and poor white, you would see that the disparity is incredibly, I mean, there's a wide gap between nonviolent crime offenders who are in jail for BS crimes that supposedly were committed and people who actually should be in jail because they beat somebody up with a pipe or because they actually grabbed a gun and did something. So our kids have become the cash crop. I I know police officers, lieutenants, who have quit and have left the police force because it was so frustrated when they go in to uh, make an arrest. Uh, this is a this is a real example of one friend of mine was a lieutenant in the police department who told me, who I can't take no more. He just went and left. And he said, I, I arrest a guy in the South Bronx who had a gun. And the gun was unmarked. They had, they had chiseled off the markings, which means that the gun was the, used Defaced. Yeah, they defaced yeah. the gun. Yeah. He brings the, the he brings the guy into the into the precinct and he's booking him and uh, he's doing the paperwork and as he's doing that a rookie white cop comes in and brings about twelve young Latinos and and blacks that he went to a schoolyard with kids who were playing basketball and he lined them all up these kids didn't do anything they were just playing basketball somebody might have complained that they were you know, uh, playing basketball or making some noise, I don't know, whatever yeah. excuse the cops gave. But they went there and they told all these kids who don't know the law, like my friend, my, my, my son's friend who didn't know the law, when the cops said empty out your pockets. If you go to school you're in the South Bronx at any time, bro, playing basketball, you tell any of those kids to empty out their pockets, there's going to be at least one kid's going to have a joint. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and a couple of, so, actually a couple of years ago, um, a couple of cops actually started suing the city because of racial discrimination. Yes. very sneaky way to enforce stop and frisk even though it's not being implemented?
Yeah. Think about that. Just, just a guesstimate. The percentage of plea deals um, being accepted by these innocent people. What do you think the percentage is? Well, we don't, we don't know, right? And there's no way of knowing, really. And mm-hmm. so, if someone, you know, technically pleads anything, it's just no way of knowing. But, but it, you know, <laughs> but you do have to question a system where you can't see what evidence is being used against you, right? You know, you, I mean, yeah, of course. Focusing on this issue of marijuana and stop, you know, stop 
looking at other stuff. What advice can you give someone in a in a predicament like this, like your like your son was facing, or all these other people are facing? What what advice can you give them? Well, I'll tell you one thing that we did. Uh, one thing was that we could not fight the system, right? My son pled innocent. He he suffered the challenges of going through a system that basically uh, was accusing him of doing something that he never did, but because he's in the system, you're already there. So he had to go through two years and something of going through this, you know, uh, trial system. But I tell you what we did. Right after that, they found him innocent. We sued the city of New York. We sued the police department. And my son won a settlement. He got money back from the, from the city. He got money back from the police department for all the, the stuff that they made him go to. Was it enough? Probably not. But it was enough for my son to say, you know what? I've had it with New York. I'm leaving a state that has this type of laws. And he went to California. Mm. But that's one of the things that people need to do is, is, is if they have to know their rights. If yeah. they were found innocent or something, sure. The way I guess I would answer your question would be, I would say, um, you know, if, if I can't tell you what to do. I mean, I don't, I don't know someone's situation. I mean, you know, if, if, if you have parents like Julio who are going to be there for you and going to fight for you and have the monetary means to fight for you and go to court and do all those things, and fight the case, you know, but a lot of times, you know, when we see this too often, you know, majority of the courts are filled with poor black and brown bodies, and then they don't have the same options sometimes, you know, they don't have the same resources, so, to be, you know, I guess the honest answer would be, you know, it depends on your situation, you know, if you can fight the case and you know you haven't done anything, you know, please do, in all, in all means, do it, you know, yeah. I don't care what the prosecutors say, that this misdemeanor or this felony or even this ACOD, you know, which is, this doesn't really affect you, it does, and the world continuously, you never know what future things happen, and so, um, if you can, if you have the money and the resources to fight the case, you know, do so, but if you don't, you know, I, I, I get it, a lot of times people don't, a lot of times, you know, God forbid you're sitting in Rikers or some other god-awful place, and, and you just want to get out, and if someone's offering you something, you know, if you haven't done something, then, then you know, you Yeah. You're innocent. You're sitting in Rikers. You don't have the resources to bail. You don't have anything. And but you're sitting in Rikers, and you have the pressure of your mother, who's telling you, you know, Santa de la casa, tú no hiciste nada. You didn't do anything. But all they want, they 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 brought the charges down to, you know, a minor charge. Take the charge. You you can walk out of jail. Your wife. You have a kid, maybe. You know, and 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 your wife or your girlfriend is 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 on your case because she has. You know, she needs somebody to be a breadwinner. You know, where, where they, they, they have resources. They're not getting any resources because you're in jail. I mean, there's so much pressure on a young person who's been arrested that, you know, they, they're being forced. And so, a lot of them basically then plead to a lesser charge. But what they don't know is what yeah. you said earlier, when you plead to a lesser charge, now you're going to a different type of prison. Yeah. You're no yeah. longer in the prison, you know, in, inside a cell, but now you're in a prison in society where you're not going to be able to get student loans, you're not going to be able to get insurance, you're not going to be able to join the armed forces, you're not going to be able to get a job, and, and it goes on and on. You live in public housing, huh? Yeah. You were living in public housing, and you came out, and there's a charge on you, depending on what the, uh, on what the uh, charge was, you might not be able to stay in that public housing with your mother or with your girlfriend. That come out as a result of pleading guilty to something that you did not do also is a factor which a lot of these young people don't know until after. Yeah. And then the other thing is, when, when 
Yeah. You go and you pay it, it's over. No, it's not. It's not. Because you get a desk appearance ticket for something minor, which you can walk. You go home. Yeah. Right? But then, three months later, you're walking down the street and you see a police officer who's harassing and probably banging somebody across the car and a crowd develops around the, the, the police officer. And you're one of those people that reacts to the way this police officer is, is, is manhandling this person, this woman, this young girl. And you scream out, hey, yo, leave alone. And, you, and, you, and you get arrested and, and back into the system. Yep. Disturbing the peace and preventing a, 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 an arrest. Now you go back. You had a desk appearance ticket. And now guess what? Now you gotta go to jail. Yeah. Now, now, um, let's focus on the organization, um, Discovery for Justice. I wanna, um, we, we already talked about how problematic this uh, law is and how we should eradicate it. And now let's uh, focus on the solution. So, what, uh, what is the Discovery for Justice? What are they doing to achieve their goals? Out of, out of committee 
taken place between the correctional officers, between the law enforcement units that are all benefiting from the fact of the amount of prisoners that are being pumped into, you know, upstate New York into these prisons. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a business. Even if, for example, a, a little town, a little town upstate New York that might have a population of about maybe three, four thousand, but you got another three, four thousand prisoners. And the total population of that little municipality has just increased by double. So now you have a municipality that has that can, that can say they have a population now of eight thousand. So guess what? They get benefits from the state for sanitation, for for all the benefits of that city. They get it for eight thousand people, but in reality, it's only four. So that's 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 that's, un guiso de su madre. that's like a three card mafia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you um? Do you think taking it to the Supreme Court will do any help? So actually, so just so you know, so they have actually tried to um, take it to the Supreme Court. It's been ruled basically that this has to be changed in the state level because the procedural issue, um, it's a state procedural issue, so the states have to decide, and by the state, it has to be done by the legislative body. Um, and so, you know, it has to be done on the state Senate side. That's sort of what's been holding us back. And I just want to clarify something. You know, this, this isn't really... It's, it's weird, but this, this really hasn't been a Republican or Democratic issue for the majority of, of the country. I mean, 46 other states do it in, in better than New York does at this point. And those 46 other states, you know, a lot of states, we have, you have Texas, you know, and, and Governor Perry at that point, he's working for um, under Trump at this point, but Governor Perry, whose policy in Texas, whose policy was, you know, try em and fry em, um, they, you know, they passed. Um, legislation um, having open discovery. So, you know, it, it just, let's, just, let's be clear that this is not a Republican Democratic issue, really. It just comes down to its fundamental fairness, and I think that's the thing that we all need to understand. Got it. Um, I also heard, I don't know if this is true, but maybe you could, you know, clarify. I also heard that uh, recently we're supposed to, um, New York State is supposed to be, um, you know, getting their budget together. Um, would this be an opportunity to maybe eradicate this law if we're um, if New York State is trying to you know when is already going to that time to uh, redo the budget? So, so just so you know, um, and just a little background. So what's what's happening right now? And Holly's actually correct. Um, the assembly. So you know, in the state level, you have the state assembly, which is made based on population, and then you have the Senate, and then you have the governor. So, you know, normally the way the laws work is you go through, you know, the assembly, then you go through the Senate, they both pass a bill, and then they agree on a bill, and, and then Cuomo would technically sign it. What the issue has been, and unfortunately it's been in New York for oh, quite a long time at this point, almost 40, 50 years, is that the Senate has been controlled by the Republicans. So what, what that means is, you know, it's hard to pass any progressive legislation, anything that's, you know, anything left, basically, because the Senate won't be able to pass through Senate, because Senate has been, for the last 50 years, has been controlled by the Republicans. So one mechanism of getting the laws through is, which is what Cuomo has done, and he's tried to continue doing, which is he puts it in his budget, he puts it as a non-budgetary item, and he forces a vote. He tells Republicans that in order to get something done, then we have to get these certain laws that he's advocating. So he actually did uh, put it in his Year, and he was the first governor in almost 50 years to recognize this as being an issue. So, so we're very thankful of him for doing that. Um, mm. And so it was tried, but it unfortunately didn't go through. So we're still we're still waiting.
gotcha. Also, by any chance, is there a donation page on the on the website? We do. Oh, excellent. So we have it. Please go to it. And we also have uh, fundraisers. Uh, and we would appreciate and support and greatly, you know, uh, acknowledge, you know, anybody that can help out. Because, you know, we definitely need to raise funds. You know, we make cards. We give them out for free. We're trying to uh, put stuff wherever we go to try to get, you know, people to get more Gotcha. Um, um, Saeed, tell people how to reach you if they uh, if they want to get more information. Um, you know, the easiest thing is you go to the website and there's a contact page and you just send us an email and, and, and you know again the, our webpage is discoveryforjustice.org. That's discoveryforjustice.org. Um, and there's a contact page, so just email us on that. You know, and then you know, that's one thing I sort of want to be clear. I know we sort of talk a lot about um, you know on the left and. You know, I can tell that you, you know, we're sort of very concerned with what's going on with our communities, you know, and then we sort of get into these conversations, you know, and we sort of just talk about it. We don't do anything about it. You know, this is one of those opportunities, I think, that, you know, this can't get done this year, hopefully, and um, and it just needs people's attention, you know. It's, we need to sort of focus in and say, you know what, let's, let's change this, and it, there's a lot of momentum behind it because I think people are finally taking attention. people to reach you, Julio? Yeah. 
at the yeah. same time, it was almost like a horror that I got myself involved in. And I thought that every time I told the story verbally to people, people could not believe it and say, bro, you need to write that. And I finally did. And it has become a little bestseller. It's called Knockout Fidel Castro Business in South Bronx. Gotcha. It's available on Amazon. Gotcha. So get that book, people. If you guys want to find out more information, discoveryforjustice.org. And I'd like to thank my two special guests. Um, thank you very much for finding the opportunity to come and talk about a very important issue. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us, man. I want to congratulate you for having the foresight to think about this issue that affects so many people, and we need to get it out. So thank you. Yeah, no, and absolutely. Uh, you know, again, education and sort of understanding what it is is, I think, the best way to fight this. Um, I think as soon as people get what this law is and how it sort of unjustly affects so many, I think we're going to change it. So thanks for having us and the opportunity to speak about this. Not a problem. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good one. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed that very special episode. Once again, I'd like to thank my two special guests, Julio and Saeed, for finding the time to speak out about this law that's unknown in our community and talking a little bit more about the organization. If you'd like to reach out to the organization, go to discoveryforjustice.org. That's discoveryforjustice.org. They got their Facebook and Twitter linked up. You can also make a donation in their website. Everything is all linked up for, uh, for them. If you want to reach out to Saeed, his email is also in that website. And also Julio. Shouts out to my man Julio. Go check out his book, Knockout. It's on Amazon. I'll put all the link on the description on the podcast and also on YouTube. But I want to give a special, special, special shout out. Because if it wasn't for this person, this whole interview wouldn't have happened. Edgar Luciano Leon, yo, what's poppin', homie? You can also reach out to me to Radical underscore Latino underscore. That's for Twitter and Instagram. You could reach out to me, let me know what y'all think and all that. But I hope you guys enjoyed this very special interview, all right? I'm out. Peace.